What's up, everybody? Is JJ? These are the men minisodes, mini mansodes. I think that's the <laughs> proper title for them. But whatever you want to say, it's just JJ talking to the fellas on Fridays. You know we keep it real. You know we get transparent. Okay, guys. So today we have, of course. It's got to be on sex. We're obsessed with sex, you know, because we're single guys and, you know, it's just all we think about. No, I'm just kidding. But what I love about this season, what we've been doing is we are talking sex for singles. And it's been really, really awesome. There's really no question that we feel like is off limits in this kind of sense. And even questions about sex and marriage, we want to be transparent. And the whole entire point of this season is to kind of remove the curtain as a person who might say, hey, this is where we're at. If I go back in time and in singleness and change how I viewed sex, my theology on sex, the foundation, how I would even just go about it, this is what we would do. And that's kind of the foundation of this whole season. We're not talking as experts on sex. Like sex is very much a journey that we are very, very young and fresh in. But so far, like in that little bit of a journey, I hope this is actually really, really nice and really, really powerful for you guys to just know like, hey, as a recent newlywed, this is what we wish we would have known. And we can talk about sex in 20 years when we get there, but I think there's actually a ton of value in that. And like you guys know, the foundation of these episodes is this. Hi, my name is JJ. I'm a, I think I'm 28. Yeah, I'm a 28 year old male. I love sports. I love God. I, you know, happen to give some advice on things. When I do give you guys advice, when I, when I do give you guys wisdom, my posture is this. I'm not a youth pastor. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor or preacher. I just have gone through some experiences in the past year or a couple years, specifically in singleness, dating, and now marriage, newlywed marriage. And I have a little bit of a perspective. I have a little bit of an experience. I have a little bit of wisdom. I have some regrets and some things that I wish I did not do. And here are some things that I happen to do well. And when I did do something well, let me be honest, I am taking no credit. I just accredit everything to wise teachers, wise coaches, and the Holy Spirit, uh, who really I try to lean on as my crutch in everything, the small things and big. So that's the foundation. Now, when it comes to something like this episode today, sex Q&A for <laughs> single guys, I'll be honest, I lean on experts. Like I try not to answer questions on a whim, I try to prepare, I try to go to people who I acknowledge have more life experience than me, more, more wisdom than me, who have more teachings, they've seen more couples, they've seen more singles, and I'll try to identify my answer within their answer. So that's how I kind of go about these. I, you know, I can do spontaneous, but I just feel like out of humility, I want to acknowledge that there's people who are just way better at this than me. But I can maybe just recommunicate what they've recommunicated already since you guys are here. Okay, how's that? So in my DMs, this is just one of my favorite segments. I don't know what happened, but when I started pitching this, you guys, like I got flooded with DMs. Keep them coming. I love serving you guys. I go through my DMs. I don't have anybody doing it for me. So if you fellas have a question, send them my way. For those of you who I have answered, I think you've seen, I don't just give a sentence response. I really try to serve you guys. I love serving you guys. So 
a great one that I got this week, ironically, was, hey, JJ, love the Mansodes. They have been so awesome for me to learn from. My girlfriend and I are actually having a really hard time sticking to our boundaries. Are our boundaries the problem? Are, is it not a good enough? Is it a boundary issue? And then he says, what are some good practical steps to take from here in order to start you know, abiding in the boundaries better? This is such a good question. It's going to keep getting asked and I'm happy, happy, happy to answer it. I just think like whenever I hear a question like this, I affirm like, hey, I love that you have a heart to change, a desire to stick to boundaries. I know there's probably shame, there's conviction, like I have been in that position. Our issue specifically as men is that we want that practical one, two, three step, really, really clear and concise behavior modification. And we have to step backwards. We have to zoom out and look at this from a spiritual overview. Like what is happening when we cross boundaries? And we'll talk about this. We have a a special guest coming. What happens in this idea of 2 Corinthians that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but human sorrow, mankind sorrow leads to death? And I just think that is the foundation which we have to evaluate what's going on with sobriety and from a spiritual standpoint. Well, here I would just say, quite frankly, it is like the verse. Like we have to understand when we cross boundaries, it's so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than you. Not only have you failed, which we've all been there, but you have offended and sinned against God. You have offended and sinned against creation. You have offended and sinned against his design. You have offended and sinned against her. And then you have offended and sinned against yourself. And that's where shame steps in. And shame steps in when it comes to human sorrow and we regret. Listen, you want to know how it's human regret? It's because you regret the consequences of your sin and how they affect you. A good example, a man commits adultery. His wife decides to divorce him. He loses custody of the kids and has a chaotic, terrible, you know, really, really hard marriage or divorce marriage moving forward. If he is so upset and grieving the loss of himself and what he has lost, he is practicing human sorrow. That that shame and the conviction and the the sadness he feels is for nobody else but himself first. He has, he's not thinking about the kids. He's not thinking about the wife. He's not thinking about God. He's not thinking about the community. He is thinking about himself and the pain first. And there is room for that. Nobody is saying there's not room for disappointment and sadness, but godly sorrow leads to change, which means godly sorrow is you have grieved God. You have grieved the spirit and that breaks you. So we have to stop and pause before we even talk about practical steps. We have to understand the heart of sin and what it's done and who we've offended. And then lastly, you need grace. Before we even talk about the practical, once we've understood that and the paradigm, we have to understand that moving forward, God does not change. His love and affection for you and desire to be with you doesn't change on your best day or your worst day whether you fail that boundary or you have committed to it, but he has given you grace, not that you can keep failing and knowingly failing and committing the sin, but that you can win. 
that you can win in this battle. You have been given grace so that you might win, so that you can live above reproach and you can be successful in your fight against sin and temptation and boundaries. I would just say, now you want to get to practical. Once you've accepted the grace, once you understand, you know, what has just happened, you need to confess to God for forgiveness. More importantly, if you're serious about changing, to confess to others to heal and change. You need accountability. From there, you build out practicals. I've confessed to God for forgiveness. I'm confessing to others to strip away shame, to step out in just great humility and say, I need help and I want to change and I'm serious about it and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. And then from there, we find an accountability partner, a group, and we build out practicals and systems to check in on us, okay? It's out of a heart change and a desire to please God first that we then tackle the practical. Okay, love that. So sex Q&A, let's jump in. Now, single guys, <laughs> here's my question. When you think of sex, we go into sex Q&A. I love, you know, personally, middle school, high school, college, out of college, whenever I went to any kind of conference or gathering of men, there's always a sex Q&A. And I'm not going to lie. It was just always the most popular, most exciting. There's a little bit of like mystery and tension in the air. We're all kind of thinking about the same questions and same behaviors and same challenges on porn and masturbation that we've always been struggling with. And yet we find ourselves in that room, you know, kind of hoping that this guy is finally going to give me the answer I've been looking for. This guy is going to be the one to break the addiction, to break the chain in the ministry. And from this night on, I just hope I can experience victory. Sound familiar? Okay. Well, that's great. I think if we're going to start here today, when you think of sex, we have to train our mind and where it's not going to go initially. If I say, hey, let's think about sex. My question to you is, does it go straight to theology? <laughs> does it go straight to the theology and the foundation of it? Or does it maybe go to something like the act of it? or the ethics of it, the morality of sex, the do's and don'ts, the failure and the victory in our boundaries on sex. You know, what's funny is when it comes to moral sets, like a moral code, it's actually funny, Christian or not, we actually all have a moral set of rules that we follow that we abide in. You know, Christian or not, you know, there's certain lines in the sand that every man draws when it comes to sex, everybody. But from a Christian perspective, one thing is super, 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 super clear that we are, as a congregation of single men, we are older, we are more single, and we are waiting longer to get married than ever before. We have more people in this room than ever before. We have more single guys listening to this episode than ever before. We have more single men asking these questions than ever before. And the good news for us men is we don't have to come up with that line in the sand just from whimsical thinking, Reddit, YouTube, Netflix videos, and video games. Like we have in a we have a rock solid foundation and theology of sex to lean on and build our life and sexual ethic around. Like the the very word of God is that rock, that foundation that we can build our moral code and ethics on, which is really, really awesome. But what's hard about this is I think when it comes to this conversation, and basically my foundation for the episode is this is it's so fascinating. One of the reasons that you know, we're here is we've just waited so long to get married. And we have men listening to this episode who have waited for decades, decades and decades and decades to have sex. Decades and decades and years and years and years of practicing 
quote, you know, purity and practicing great boundaries and practicing a wonderful sexual ethic who desire to grow in holiness more than we desire to fill urges and desires of our flesh. And what's funny for me is like, I think we actually have more clarity and I think we have more transparency on destructive failed marriages. We have so much information on broken marriages. We have such a lack of healthy demonstrations of godly kingdom marriages. And I actually think that we're also flooded by choice. That little concoction right there has resulted really in both men and women waiting to get married longer than usual. And, you know, what's funny is if you think about it, and if you guys didn't know, 51% of all adults in the U.S. are single. 51% for the first time in human history, we have more single adults than married adults. And what's ironic about that is how are we more single now than ever before with dating apps? We we have more access to godly, great women than ever before in human history, and yet we're more single. And I just think it's a combination of like we've just we have so much transparency now into terrible marriages. We've seen how bad it can go. And we also are kind of like flooded by choices. Like we have become so, 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 so selective in great ways and also kind of not great ways. And what's crazy for me is if I take that question, I go, what what does the Bible say? (laughs) What does scripture say about getting married in that choice? Well, you know, you have Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 that he's literally, man, I read this. I'm like, dude, this is like you would expect him to be like, choose with wisdom. Choose that partner so carefully. And he's actually more like, hey, if you have a man with a burning passion, aka, you know, to have sex, what should he do? He goes, he should just get, he should just get married. He goes, literally, if you cannot control this desire, just get it done. (laughs) So like you have this total swing on the other side of like, hey, just choose, just get it done and figure it out in marriage. But if this, if this burning passion is just causing you to sin so much, then just get into marriage. And I'm not going to lie, that one's hard, <laughs> but I think we should maybe save that one for another men's night. But, um, you know, going into sex Q&A, you know, that's really the foundation is we, we have more single men than ever before. We have more men you know, who are practicing celibacy now more than ever before. And whether you like it or not, if you're a single man practicing purity and walking a sexual, biblical, traditional ethic, you are practicing celibacy. Now, the question you have to ask is, is this celibacy for life? And that's what I've been called to you? Or is this seasonal celibacy until I get married, which I desire to do? Okay, so first question. I'm glad I made it 16 minutes without even getting into a question, but you guys just know I love to talk, so I'll keep these a little bit faster. The first question, you guys picture yourself at a conference, men's conference, you got axe throwing, you got hot chocolate, you got grilling, you're out in the woods, we're having the talk. First question always. It's like a rite of passage into this conversation. Hey, JJ, yes? How far is too far? (laughs) And regards to boundaries, lust, physical intimacy, oral sex, straddling, make out, like how far is too far? This is always the question. So bro, you know we gotta start here and we just have to. It's just too common, too good of an opportunity. And the thing that is funny for me in this question is that we are quietly holding 
in the back of our mind as Christian men is this. I really do think in our heart and I really do think in our mind that we know the standard of what we're called to. And we also know it's really, really hard to abide in that perfect standard. So then we kind of ask this question, well, if that perfect standard is not on the table, how far is too far? And that's dangerous from the get-go. The, the question in itself, I think, just reveals priority. Because the question that should guide us in life is not, just think about it. As a Christian, what does it reveal about me and my soul, my priorities, my spirit? What's important for me if I, if I say this question? How much gray and ambiguous mm, sin, maybe not sin, can I get away with until it's not okay and it's sin? Does that not challenge you right off the bat? What's funny is this part is never really talked about. I just think if you're asking that question, you have to stop and pause and take inventory and say, okay, where am I at in my Christian life today? What is my top priority? Because if Christ and his fellowship and the pursuit of holiness is your top priority and advancing his kingdom, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness is your top priority. Why would your question ever be, well, how much of this is too much and too far versus, well, how can I absolutely make sure crystal clear abundantly that I am glorifying God in the area of boundaries and intimacy with my partner and girlfriend? Do you see the difference in how much it just reveals about where you're at and what's important? Hey, how far is too far? Because I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm kind of horny. <laughs> I'm a young man who's hit puberty. I got a lot of my T levels are through the roof and I really, really love making out and I really love the pleasure and the feeling. So is that okay? Because I really, really like it. It feels really, really good. Versus in terms of desire and priority, my desire to make out, my desire to please God and glorify him. Like it's a battle of two desires in a lot of ways. And the question itself, I think should just, you know, totally reflect and it does reflect our priority in life. And so really what this is, and I'm going to really challenge you guys on this. You are built and prepared and designed to commit and bond with one woman alone. You are with one woman alone in covenant. You are obligated and called to give yourself to. And that is the physical act of sex and sexual encounter, intimate encounter. I would describe that from everything like sleeping in the same bed, cuddling in the morning, making out, kissing, affectionately holding hands and hugging and embracing. You know, there's like this kind of slope of of intimate and physical encounter with a crescendo of sex. But everything on that slope, I think, to a large degree... Here's my question. If categorically there's one woman and everyone else is a sister or mother to you in life, like it is that black and white, what is the physical intimacy that you, you know, are comfortable with, with your sister and mom? And that's kind of the line. <laughs> like, think about it. I love my sister. I love my mom. I would embrace my sister and hug her. My mom, I would kiss her on the cheek and say, I love you and embrace her. And that is the degree of physical intimacy I am comfortable with. That is the same standard 
if I'm going as black and white as every other sister in Christ and female on earth, who is my sister or mother, you know, in the kingdom, that's how I treat them. That's the call. That's the standard. So really, biblically, whether you're dating, you're talking, you're engaged, the call and that standard to treat her until she is your wife and in covenant, that is the intimacy that's reserved for your wife. And so working backwards, that slope of sexual intimacy from lower, you know, on the lower slope and the physical touch to the crescendo. And I think it's a slope, not stairs. I think it it was so fluid and gray that it is that slope where the crescendo is physical acts of sex, which is what I would count as all forms. There isn't a slope. <laughs> there isn't a slope. There's there There is one side and then another side. There's that like, if I have that slope and I had to take a vertical line and just slash it right there after it's like that sister, it's like if there's a graph underneath, you know, like I think it's the, you know, the lateral line. There's a sister and mother category, and then there's physical acts, which I am comfortable extending, draw a line in the sand. Everything past that is for wife, one woman. And that's really, really, really hard. Like I, Kate and I kiss, Kate and I made out. We also had to stop making out, right? But that is that line in the sand of how I treat my sister, my mother, the physical intimacy I extend, I'm comfortable. And then the other side, which is I extend and engage my wife. And that is the part that you guys all want that line in the sand. So let me give you two snapshots to kind of demonstrate this. A married couple engages in holding hands, massaging each other, making out like this is all guys here touching breasts and genitals. There's exchanges, there's groping, there's, you know, cuddling, there's caressing. Okay, you guys get the picture. So that's Song of Solomon for you, okay? And engage, now let me draw another picture. An engaged couple engages in holding hands, massaging each other, cuddling, humping each other, dry humping, making out, touching breasts, fondling genitals. And I would just ask you guys, okay, without going too far there, we have our two ideas. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, the, the engaged couple here says probably something along the lines like this. They console themselves. They minimize. They might say something like, well, you know, we're getting married anyway. And I, I know this is going to happen. So, you know, it's, it, it's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. And it was just some touching. It was a slip up. Um, you know, it, it was just a little bit of fondling and making out. It was, and it was, it was at least not sex. Like, well, at least we're, we're holding that off. And what's crazy about this is if I stop and pause and I work backwards and I say, well, what does the married, the married couple and engaging the exact same thing, what do they call it? They call it foreplay. And you know what else the married couple says? They, they say that foreplay and everything from the moment of cuddling and there's been orgasms and they're, you know, it's finished and they're wrapping each other in love from the second that they initiated. You know what they call that? They say, well, wasn't that great sex from beginning to end? Wasn't that awesome sex and connection from the second I, you know, we kiss and we massage and it, that foreplay was kicked off all the way to the end. That was sex and it was connection. And God, the God who created sex also created foreplay. 
to get excited, to allure both sides in, to build up the anticipation and excitement for one another. And in a lot of ways, if sex is that boat and journey, the foreplay serves a very specific purpose in the sexual journey together, which is that on-ramp. It's the on-ramp. It's kind of like the oven, you know, turning up that oven before we bake that apple pie. And we've been rolling out the dough. We've been kneading it. We've been prepping the filling. And we are turning on the oven to, you know, it's all baking. That apple pie is not just about putting the pie in the oven, but it's about from completion to end. It's about that baking process. Foreplay was specifically designed as the on-ramp for sex. It was not designed for the single. And not only does it set you up for trouble getting on the on-ramp with the partner, it is trouble in itself. It is trouble. It 100% is. And so I would just say that is the longest answer you might ever hear about how far is too far without a specific. But I would just say at certain points as men, we have to draw that line in the sand of how do I treat my sisters? How do I treat my mothers in Christ? You know, well, Technically, an older woman is your sister in Christ, not your mother in Christ, but she serves like a motherly role. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. But at a certain point, I have to have that commitment in my heart. And here's why that based off the theology of sex and what it was designed for and what God intends for it, I'm standing in agreement with that creation and design to say, I have sisters in Christ. And then there's one who is my wife and I just want to reserve that intimacy for the institute and design. And for me, one of the biggest things, Kate and I, you know, we don't specifically talk about the do's and don'ts on purpose. But one big thing for me, for example, was I didn't even want to sleep in the same bed as Kate. And I know there's been a lot of like relaxed sexual ethic on sleeping in the bed, especially if there's no crossing of physical boundaries from that point. But I actually think like, think about it like that. I I'm not comfortable sleeping in the same bed, you know, with, with other women. And that is an intimacy that I reserve for my wife. And I look forward to it. Like I really do look forward to sleeping in the same bed and cuddling and waking up, you know, and looking into the eyes of my lover. And that was something I wanted to reserve for my wife because it was so special and cherished for me. And, and I'm so glad we did do that. You know, the next question I got and I'm going to go fast on these next ones. Do physical boundaries change with trust and commitment, aka like, you know, first date, we're in a relationship, we're engaged. And specifically engagement, there's something that happens with men that and women that people will say, hey, we are great about boundaries. All of a sudden we got to engage and like we just felt like a, a spiritual attack. We just felt an amplification. It was so much harder And what's so funny about that is, and I had a good friend somewhat in one of my former communities and he had just gotten married and we're actually talking about oral sex and blowjobs. And he goes, you know, when you're engaged, it doesn't matter. And we look back and he was like, you know, we messed up and we did oral sex and engagement and we are getting married anyway. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he goes, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's okay. Like we don't regret it. Dude, that was so destructive, that theology in every sense. And more importantly, your sexual boundaries and ethic that you have decided beforehand is not tied to a slider of physical commitment as you slide in physical 
you know, relational commitment from singleness to engage, your boundaries aren't tied to that with another slider going back and forth. That's so arbitrary. It, it has nothing to do with ethic, you know, whether you are engaged, you are on the path to that being your woman in covenant, but you're not in covenant. Up until that point, she is still legitimately your sister in Christ that you were pursuing with romantic affection. So my question back would be like, how or should commitment level outside marriage determine what pleases God and glorifies him, right? And that's that third element, commitment. Like your commitment does not influence what pleases God and glorifies him. And so when it comes to your sexual ethic and boundary, I don't care if there's a ring on, on the finger. I don't care if there's a deposit. You know, it, that finish line might be in sight. And my question for you, if you're engaged, is if you guys have abstained, if you guys have waited that long, whether it's been, you know, years and years of virginity or months and months of great boundaries, you're so close to the finish line. You're so close to that moment of awesomeness that you've worked and prepared so hard for. Why squander that? It would be like running a marathon and you are on that last hundred meters 200 meters, 300 meters, and you decide to walk. Like, why give all that effort for a great time if you're just going to get on that finishing road and walk? That should be the time where we hit, you know, overtime, that last 10% drive to, you know, oh, I'm going to abide in this. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to love it because it's been worth it and I can't wait. Okay. Good question there though. Is masturbation okay for me to deal with pent-up physical desires after decades and decades? Is Does that disappear in marriage? Are there any side effects for having to just abstain from sex? So guys, we're going to do an episode on masturbation specifically because it is a thick topic to a degree if you want to get theological and debate on it. But really, there is a surface level to the conversation where it is pretty clear. Like the Bible, you're right, the Bible doesn't drop the M word. The Bible doesn't drop a lot of specific instruction on specific actions of everyday life. Like the Bible is not an exhaustive dictionary for your life for every single decision with a yes or no answer. Like that's why we have that's why we have commands so that they serve us in every situation. We know what we desire and we know that we want to please God. Can you masturbate without lust? That's the first question we all need to ask. And look, if you want to play the theological game and say, and there's some person who we want to look up and say like, yes, I can. That's great. But if we're really being honest and a little blunt, look, 99.9% of us, I just don't think we can. I'm confident saying that. And I know for me, I 100%, I couldn't even try to do that masturbation without lusting because I just know. (laughs) I know. And I didn't really have a desire either. And secondly, when it comes to the masturbation conversation, I would just ask, so what is the point of that orgasm? Well, as in like, what was God's intended design of the orgasm? Well, the intended design of the orgasm, I think, was to bring pleasure, but more importantly, it was to build something and to make an agreement with pleasure and intoxication of love that you accept and you're bonding and giving yourself and becoming one flesh. So when we orgasm outside of that, I think it just perverts the intent of the act and perverts the intent of that pleasure, right? Like that's why I'm also not a fan of this idea. And thirdly, And maybe one of the most important practical elements is that it trains you. It trains you, it trains you, it trains you. And this is one of the greatest traps of porn and really masturbation is that it teaches you that it is about you. And it fulfills your lazy, 
self-centered desire for pleasure or escape. And the irony is that this is the opposite of sex in every way within covenant. You see, sex within the covenant of marriage is not about you per se. And it's not really about your fulfillment. And it's something that you work for and you work towards. It's not guaranteed. It's not immediate gratification. And it's focused on another person. And more importantly, sex within the covenant, it builds something. It doesn't destroy or take away. And we find pleasure in marriage not because of the pleasure you physically experience, because we find pleasure in what it points to. And that holy sacrament in itself, the object of sex is a glorification of the other, the relationship and God versus masturbation in every sense is just a momentary pleasure in conviction. And what follows that is most likely conviction and shame versus celebration. And, you know, when you have sex within the covenant, there is a celebration and a joy that accompanies it because of the intended use. Here's a great question to follow that up because you might ask me naturally after that, okay, if it's off the table, what to do with sexual urges outside singleness or even marriage, in marriage. So again, we go back, I would say, instead of straight to practical, what to do with sexual urges is let's go to the theology and the foundation of sex. Like what was the purpose of that urge? And there's tons of underlying drivers of sexual urge, but This is why it's so important to know the foundation of sex and theology of sex. Sex is an expression of intimacy. It's a relational exchange with another person. That is where, that is why we crave it. And so there's no disconnecting the physical urge to the emotional and spiritual desire of sex. The physical urge of sex and the the emotional and spiritual desire for connection are so intertwined because it is the act of intimacy. It's not the act of physical desire and a vacuum. So when we try to view it as a sexual urge of physical desire, like eating, like a physical need, then the danger in that is we're kind of creating this whole past system saying, hey, it's not a sexual desire, it's a sexual need. And like my physical need to eat, I actually have a physical need to release. And do you see how that logic right there just kind of naturally builds in a little hall pass system that I have this physical need and it's just a physical need that I need to release. And when you say, and this is where it challenges that, I actually think that that sexual urge and that physical desire is absolutely intertwined with my deeper need to emotionally and intimately connect. I all of a sudden am challenged that my sex drive, whether I'm single or married, is actually fueled by my desire for a healthy connection, a healthy emotional connection. And that's fueled by my connection to God, family, and friends. And crazy enough, this is where we get to this answer of what to do with sexual urges in singleness or marriage is that... The more you are healthily, emotionally, and spiritually connected to others in fellowship, the easier it is to manage your sex drive. That's why sexual addictions and primarily sexual addictions are driven by unmet and neglected emotional needs. Counselors literally call this intimacy disorder, intimacy disorder, and that is what's fueling the sex addiction, the need. So if I want to you know, control my sexual urges and maintain them and have 
a great sexual ethic, the you know, if the solution is that I actually need a healthy, emotionally, spiritually vibrant connection to God and others in fellowship, well, that tells me, obviously, that the root cause of that physical addiction, that sexual addiction, is not a physical desire and physical need. It's an emotional one. It's a spiritual one. They are absolutely intertwined. So therefore, I can't just say it's a physical need. It's a physical desire that I need to release. I have to evaluate the need underneath that's fueling that. So I just say from a practical lens, right off the bat, the thing that sticks out for me is that you need to build as healthy and as rich fellowship with God, with men, with women, with people in your life, with family as possible. And then you can get into the nitty gritty, like I think it's really wonderful and it's been proven to incorporate strenuous physical exercise to challenge you and deplete testosterone and engage with intentional affectionate connection. If you need affectionate connection with others, therapists literally even recommend as much as like an animal. It can even be a pet. Like you can have a dog and you, you satisfy that need for physical affection with a dog. To close this out, what to do with that sexual urge? Listen, what's funny and what I don't think is given enough credit, especially for men, is listen, when you're going through puberty, if you're a 22 year old male, you're 27 years old, you're 35, like you're in that 20 year gap, you're kind of in this really bizarre, especially if you can imagine when you hit puberty, like if the wind blew the wrong way and hit your pants, like you are getting turned on out of nowhere. Like, I just think, I don't know, I can't speak from the female experience, but I know for me, like there was just times where I'm like, I don't even know why I'm turned on right now, but I have this sexual urge and what is going on? Or I just like see the most snippet of a picture on Twitter or Instagram of a beautiful woman. And I'm like, now I'm turned on. But to close this out, and I I heard this, you know, from a person, they said Billy Graham would talk about this idea that birds are always going to be flying above you meaning your sexual urges and temptations. If you live in this world, they're always going to be flying, but you don't have to give that bird a nest to land in. Okay. And I would just say when it comes to singleness as a man, this is the training ground that any man or woman has to go through. They have to conquer this training ground, this battle arena of sexual urges if they want to continue to grow in Christ. Like it is one of the fundamentals of a faith to demonstrate growth, maturity, self-control, and holiness. So if you want a practical way to kind of close that out, here is a little five-step process that I heard when I was actually like 12 years old that's kind of stuck with me. When you feel that urge, when you feel that temptation and you are relying on Holy Spirit to kind of highlight it, or maybe you just maybe went a second too far with that second piece of eye contact and evaluation and with your mind, stop and pause and do this. Thank and worship God. Thank and worship God. It says to set your mind on things not of this world, but things that are good, that are just, that are righteous. Number one, let's just reset our mind and thank and worship God. Let's set our mind on God and just say, God, you are the creator of this universe, these rocks around me, these buildings around me, these trees, these grass, the wind, they all praise your name. And I'm joining in in that praise as master of the universe who holds everything in the palm of your hand, the very vapor from your breath created creation itself. Already, my mind is starting to fixate and change and recenter. Number two, acknowledge the urge. Let's kind of focus in and let's acknowledge the urge and the desire and say, hey, 
Father, thank you so much for knitting me in the womb, that you know every hair on my head, you know every thought, you know things in my soul that I don't even know. And thank you that you created me without mistake. You created my body in the image of you, and then I am an imago Dei. I'm made in your image, including my sexual desire. Thank you so much for that. I love my sexual desire that you created, and I can't wait, <laughs> right, for that day if I am married to express my sexual intimacy with my wife. But I'm just going to go ahead and say, hey, thank you for the urge and this desire that you created. You really did. And number three, hey, God, would you just actually highlight any areas in my life where I am deficient, where my emotions and my intimacy, maybe with you or friendships and relationships have been neglected today? Like, would you highlight my heart where I am devoid of you, where I'm weak, maybe where I'm numb, maybe where I'm angry and I'm frustrated, maybe where I'm ignoring needs, specifically emotional stuff. Holy Spirit, would you highlight my blind spots and, and what I am just like, totally ignoring today? And there's a very good chance that that emotional neglect, that spiritual neglect, that intimacy neglect is absolutely connected with that urge you're feeling that time. And number four, offer up your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, quite literally. Father, my body is yours. Every instrument and piece, quite literally, is yours, and I devote to you. I devote it to you as a pleasing and holy sacrifice set apart. And number five, I love this one, praise him for a mind that can dream. Thank you, Father, that I can dream. Thank you that I can imagine. Thank you that I can think. And thank you that even if I don't... Even if I don't gratify the sexual urge physically right now, that guess what? There's such thing as wet dreams. And if my body really needs that physical release, then it'll happen in a dream outside of my control. And I can move on with my day. Okay, there you go. Just being really, really blunt. Some other questions I got from you guys is, you know, how to know if you're doing it right or making sure that she gets there within sex. You know, I think that this is also tied to another question I got is I'm nervous about lasting long and things that... I don't even know about myself yet, you know, especially if I'm a virgin, I'm just kind of nervous about this experience, you know. I would say we have done such a poor job of acknowledging the beauty within the awkwardness and the learning of sex. Your wedding night should not be perfect in a lot of ways. Like, it should not be perfect sex. There should absolutely be a perfect wedding night should institute elements of maybe awkwardness, learning together, laughing together, learning what pleases another, communication, really, really cherishing one another. Like when it comes to the things about lasting long, the tactics of sex, the positions of sex, this is something that as as men practicing celibacy, we should look forward to those moments in time and actually look forward to them saying, you know what, I'm actually probably going to be a little bit more awkward than I think. I think it might be a little bit more bizarre and strange or maybe not physically perfect and pleasing, but I look forward to that. I kind of look forward, it's kind of like looking forward and be like, you know, the first date, it's always a little awkward at times and I was a little nervous and she was nerve-sided. It wasn't really ever perfect, but I kind of enjoy that, you know? And so that's what I would just say as, as far as regarding sex and getting there, we could probably just do like another one for married men. And then the last one is what to do when my partner has a... a sexual pass 
and when that comes into marriage. So I would just say like, you know, what's really interesting is we've done an episode on sexual past and history and dealing with that. Specifically, if one partner has an external past with other people and in real life, and maybe another partner has a little bit more of an internal past, specifically with objects and people on the internet and like pornography. And chances are you kind of get a hodgepodge and mixture of both. So we have a whole episode dedicated to that, especially in the dating process and the relationship process. I would just say this, one thing about sexual sin that we have to be aware of is there is redemption and there are consequences to sexual sin. I think that's why it's been treated with so much tenacity and put on such a pedestal is because in real life there are consequences to sexual sin in the sense of like you might be forgiven and and achieve freedom and healing and forgiveness, but there is an element that that is that is probably going to be something that you're going to have to deal with in marriage as well. And for me specifically, let me lead in that. What I mean is dealing with the after effects of pornography use within marriage. I thank God that I've been redeemed. I thank God that I've been cleansed. And I thank God that I've actually experienced renewal in my mind. While on earth, the effects of pornography that physically should be there, burned into my mind, physically wired into my brain, without Jesus, they should be there. I should have to face the ramifications of my sin much more than I do in my marriage now. And in a lot of ways, I don't. And that's a, that is the absolute gift and mercy of God and the grace of God. The mercy that I've been forgiven backwards and the grace that moving forward, I get something that I don't deserve. I get amazing, intimate, cherished sex with my wife and my brain is not reverting to pictures of other women. And my brain is not desiring the variety of women and I'm not getting bored with my wife, but I'm finding more and more beauty and love for her in that process. I have no other response but to just say, thank you, Jesus. And there's definitely things here and there that pop up. That is like the constant. I have a group of men. We talk about this all the time. There's always these darts and arrows and javelins from the enemy where he's reminding you of past encounters. He is planting temptations and seeds of thoughts. And that is an after effect of images that you absorbed and consumed in your mind. But we have been freed from that prison. We are free. Like we don't live in that prison anymore. But if I was in that prison for 10 years, you absolutely have to believe that there's there's ideas and images and habits and attitudes left over. I might be standing outside the prison now, redeemed. But if I was in there for a long time, there's absolutely going to be scars and leftover. And that's kind of the... I am sanctified, and I'm also being sanctified. It's the here and not yet. I am free, I am redeemed, and I am forgiven, and I'm also still being sanctified as I grow in my life. So I hope that's helpful. You know, that journey of that redemption, specifically within the sexual activity and boundaries and mistakes and bleeding over into your marriage looks different for every single person. But there is, I genuinely believe that there is hope and freedom and redemption. And I think sometimes we make it so black and white that there's no idea that that is a journey in itself. Like, I think sometimes we feel scared to say that it's not totally perfect, And that there is bleed over. And there's also a lot more freedom and redemption 
in my marriage and my sexual life than I could ever dream of. And I'm so grateful. And that literally just leads me to an attitude of just gratefulness. And I dwell in that gratefulness. And as those trials and as those challenges and as those reminders come, I reflect on my gratefulness and say, I want more. I want more. I want more redemption. I want more healing. I want to desire. I desire to have a continually great sex life and journey with my wife. So that was a long episode. I'm so happy that you guys stuck through it. I don't think that we should call these mini mansodes anymore because (laughs) I'm just not very good at keeping these concise. But I think with men and specifically with you guys is I don't want to just give you a one sentence Instagram answer. I want to talk about this and then this and this leads to this and this leads to this. And I just, I hope it equips you and helps you really is what I'm trying to say. I don't go down the rabbit hole for me, but I go down it for you to help really, really grasp in your heart and your mind what we're talking about here today. I love you guys. I hope that served you well. Jesus, we just seal these words, this ethic and your good word today. Thank you so much for a foundation. Thank you that you walked and modeled everything for us in Jesus name. Amen.